and welcome to the Ascribe podcast, a space to inspire women to build their brands and business without leaving their faith behind. And I'm your host, Janet Oyadilla. You'll be hearing candid conversations with founders, thought leaders, and inspiring individuals on navigating faith and life as an entrepreneur. Get ready to be challenged and encouraged as you listen. This is the Ascribe podcast. Okay, so welcome back to the Ascribe podcast. On today's episode, we're joined by an amazing woman who started her career as a journalist in women's lifestyle media and entertainment, but is now a fully-fledged media entrepreneur after founding Black Ballad in 2014, the leading media and data company for Black women in Britain and beyond. Black Ballad has thousands of paying members and a wider community of over 70,000 Black women who consume the content, attend events and engage with brands the company partners with. She secured spots on many prominent lists including Forbes 30 Under 30 for media and marketing. Today I'm excited to be joined by Toby. Welcome to the podcast Toby, how are you doing? I'm good Janet, thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm good thanks, it's so good to have you on the podcast. Hope you've been having a good day. Yeah, yeah, it's been a good day so far. It's been a good day. Mainly work, but it's, it's all still good. <laughs> that's good, that's good. Um, so yeah, once again, welcome to the podcast. Um, thank you for your time. Um, I'm so excited to get into the conversation with you around your journey with starting Black Ballad, how you've been navigating it by faith, and all the good stuff that you've been doing um, over the past six to seven years. So I thought it'd be nice to start by asking if you could tell us about your childhood and what life was like for you growing up. Um, life was, um, yeah, I grew up in East London, um, and, um, I am one of four, but none of us really lived together, uh, just because of just how our family was set up. Um, but I had a really happy childhood. Um, I had a childhood where I was really encouraged to go for any and everything that I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would say I had a childhood that didn't have limits even though like we were working class and like we didn't have like loads of money and my parents always found a way to give me what I needed I'm not gonna say wanted but needed um I think one of the great things about my childhood actually into my more teen years was my secondary school experience I always talk about this I went to a secondary school in East London where my teachers were predominantly black women and black staff. I think I only ever had like three or four white teachers mm. throughout my whole like secondary school. Um, and I've grown up to realise that this is a very privileged experience. Mm. Um, and I think it was a very defining experience to see so many black women in positions of authority. Like my headmistress was a black woman. My head of year, who happened to be the deputy head, was a black woman. Heads of departments were black women. And it was really, really good for me to see black women who were in positions of power, authority, um, you know, just handled themselves in a way um, that was just like, yeah, just, just, just like bosses really. Um, so I think that has really inspired me in how I see um, myself and I think, you know, the work that I do. Tell us about like your Christian faith and you know your faith journey. How would you say that started? I think you know parents. My mom's always been like a, I would say a casual churchgoer, like here and there. You know, believes in God, but probably attends church like once a year, a couple times a year. 
And I think I was agnostic for a long time. So I thought I, I think that I always thought it was something more than than this. Um, but I wasn't quite sure what it was. And you know what? I'm gonna be honest. Jesus Falls by Kanye West really changed my life. The song really changed my life. I remember at the time, everyone was, oh my God, it's blasphemous. It's this, it's that, it's horrible, it's rap. And I couldn't understand that this was just a very honest account of someone's Christian faith. It wasn't pretending to be perfect. I felt very intimidated by like the gospel scene at, back in, a t- in my teenage years because my best friend uh, sang in church and I had a lot of friends who were Christian and there was, there was a stand of perfection that was just so intimidating to me as a teenager that I couldn't get my head around. Um, And then Jesus Walks came out in 2004 and it felt very honest. Mm. And I remember really connecting with that song. It's still my favourite song of all time. Like it's my favourite, favourite song. And like, let's not discuss Kanye and who he is now. But it was just... I couldn't get why people were so judgmental about this account of Christianity. And especially because, you know, I'd go to French churches and it would always be like, Christianity is a personal thing, right? And then you had this guy who was talking about his Christian faith, possibly putting his career at risk, because let's be honest, rapper, you, you don't do that if you're a mainstream rapper, especially if you're also a new mainstream rapper. You know, it's the first album, you know, you are arguably turning off so many fans, you know, you've not got really a career. And I was like, oh my God, like, this is amazing. Someone's like kind of risked potentially like going further in their career to talk about, have a talk about their Christian faith, like kids who wouldn't even really think about it are listening to his lyrics. I was like, it's amazing. And everyone was like, oh my God, it's terrible. And I just couldn't get my head around it. But that song really changed how I thought about being a Christian and this and and the personal relationship you're supposed to have with Jesus and only it being defined by you and him. And that was a big milestone for me. And then I remember kind of doing like a little bit of Bible study by myself after that. And then I had a friend who's like my big sister. She took me to her church um, when I was about, I'm going to say 17, 18. And that became the church that I went to went to, to until I was 28 and got married. Mm-hmm. Um, and like having that friend who just kind of mentored me, who again was really just honest about faith and made it so non-judgmental was so important. Um, and I went to yeah, a church in East London um, from the age of like 18 to 28 when I got married. And in that time, I gave my life to Christ I became a Sunday school teacher I taught Sunday school for about I want to say five years before I left um which I think is one of the best things I've ever done with my life actually uh teaching Sunday school I would say that I did always teach the like 12 to 13 year olds I'm not the one for little kids um so yeah I think Jesus walks my big sister taking me to that church and I obviously giving your life to Christ but that's kind of just a, like you know not not like it's small, but like it's it's a milestone for any Christian. But I think Jesus walks my big sister, like taking me under her wing and mentoring me, and then being a Sunday school teacher, probably the most important dots in my Christian journey. Mm. Thank you for sharing that, and I think it's just so amazing what you said about you know 
that personal relationship thing because not only do we develop a personal relationship but God meets us in a personal way as well and you know it was hearing that song and it's just amazing that God can use anything to get to anyone and Mm -hmm. it, it actually blows me because everyone's got their own testimony God knows what would spark someone he knows how to get to someone and no matter what he needs to do, he would do it. And it's just amazing to hear how, you know, even following that, um, hearing that song, you had someone around you to kind of support and guide you on that journey. And then you went on as well to like, you know, feed and support other people in their journey. So I think that's just a great thing to hear from you. And thank you for sharing it as well. Um, Yeah. So, and how would you say that your faith has shaped you as the woman that we see you as today? Uh, I think my faith is everything. I think it's um, defined how I love others. I think it's defined how I see my purpose, how I want to see myself, um, how what I strive for in my life. Um, I think it's defined um, who, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's defined how I see myself, what I want out of life, how I love others and my purpose. It's, it's, it's just, it's just, I don't think, I think when you have faith, it defines every aspect of your identity. I don't think, I don't think you can truly be in it with Christ if it's not defining every part of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, every part of me. Mm, that's great. That's amazing. And I know you spoke about purpose or you, you touched on purpose. Um, and for many people, like purpose is one of those things that it, it's unfolding day in, day out, like through our work, through our relationships. There's more and more that God reveals about that purpose that he has for our life. But it's that submission to God and saying, Do you know what, God, whatever you have designed me for, I'm ready to walk that journey with you. Um, and I think it will be a nice segue into speaking about Black Ballad. And, you know, you started Black Ballad in 2014. Where was you in life at that time? Like, what was you thinking Um, in terms of like your career and your future that kind of led you to say hey do you know what I want to start my own thing yeah I had I graduated university in 2011 and I had an internship in late 2011 and I was interning and I just couldn't secure a job and I was very frustrated actually at that point um no that's actually sorry I'll go back so I secured internships in 2011 and then I did get a job for about two to three years working at entertainment magazine. And then they, my contract came to an end in about 2014-ish um, and I was freelancing, but I couldn't secure a job then, sorry. And it was a massive test of faith because I had... I'd done everything that people said, you know, I went to a red brick uni, I went to a really good uni, I got a 2-1, I had interned loads, I got my first job, I worked really hard, you know, um, I wasn't really rebellious, you know, I was just, I was very much, I went down that, I guess, I want to say that perfect line of education, like, um, great grades at 16, great A-levels at 18, good grade at university finished at 21 and I was about yeah in 2013 14 when I was looking for a job it was the hardest year of my life because I just couldn't secure anything and I was really angry at God actually it was 
so hard to sit in church and watch people have testimonies, especially about their careers. And I was like, God, where, where do you want me? Like, what do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt really deeply unhappy, actually, that I was applying for all these jobs and I couldn't get anything. And um, I remember, um, you know, my boyfriend at the time, my boyfriend at the time, who is now my husband, who's also my co-founder, um, kept saying to me, like, you, you're so passionate about black women and, you know, all the things that I did at university and, like, my dissertation focused on black women. I actually, um, part of my dissertation actually focused on Ebony magazine, the representation of black women. And he was like, you're always complaining that, you know, magazines don't represent black women. Why don't you do your own thing? Now, I know when he said that, like, you know, it made sense, but I have never once been an entrepreneur don't want it like I, I, it's never appealed to me the idea of kind of having your own business running it being responsible for people's <laughs> salaries is nothing it is something I've never wanted I have a friend who is a born entrepreneur that like she's never wanted to work for anyone else that was not my passion I want to have a great job at nine to five leave my work at the door and um he said it and I was like oh, okay maybe and something snaps one day and I said you know what I've been praying about it and like I, I kept asking God to give me a sign like am I supposed to be a journalist and every time I'd pray within 24 hours I'd either have like a two-week or month contract I'd have a job interview but I'd never secure the final job never ever ever so God kept giving me signs that this was the industry but I just wasn't it wasn't clicking in terms of working for anyone else um so yeah, I um, decided in 2013 that I was just gonna do something for myself. I was looking at the market; there was nothing for Black women. There was digital, you know. There was online. There was print publications, but there wasn't really anything that was I could find, anyways, that was digital, fully fully focused on digital. Not had it just essentially divided between print and like a website. Um, and I decided to just go for it. So at that point, I felt like I was kind of, it felt like my last chance of being a journalist, actually, when I started Black Ballad. And I was, I said to God, if this doesn't work out, then forget it. I'll just do something else. I think I thought I was going to be a teacher, actually. <laughs> um, so that's where I was, actually, um, at that time when I started Black Ballad. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like God led you down that path. And although you hadn't seen yourself going down the entrepreneurial route, it was like, the situation and circumstance that you found yourself in kind of pointed you towards starting up something that you was quite passionate about seeing um, for our generation. So in terms of like, you know, having that boldness, and I know you spoke about Kanye and he also had that boldness about speaking quite candidly about his faith. Um, Why do you think it's important for women or Christian women, in fact, to be bold about their ideas and some of the visions that God's given to us? Why do we need that boldness to do something different? Because God's not giving that vision to anyone else. And if God's giving that vision, that means the world needs it. And I just truly think it's that simple. Um, And I think, you need to be bold because people will, even people with good intentions will distract you from that vision. People with good intentions will plant seeds of doubt. I mean, so many, like even family was like, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure? Are you sure? Um, my husband actually uh, 
had a message from an old church friend. And um, when he said he was doing Black Ballad in church, she said that it was divisive and, you know, the world doesn't really need this. And, you know, um, she wouldn't support it. She was a black woman. Mm. Um, And I just think, imagine if he took that, he was relaying my vision to black women in his life and he was saying that he was going to support me. And imagine if he was influenced by her and he influenced me not to do black ballads. Mm. Um, and he wasn't influenced or by her at all, but she apologised a few months earlier this year, a few months earlier this year about it and said that she sees the need for it more than ever. And, you know, she just really apologised. And I think even people in, you know, in my circle of Christian friends, they're like, oh yeah, like, you know, many people, <clears throat> black women, said they didn't really get the, the need for this product. Many more women did. I should say many more black women did. I want to make that very clear. But there was a few, you know, who made me really think about is this the right thing to do? Um, so just imagine, you know, these are people that I trust that I have good intentions, that have, you know, great faith. People that I believe, you know, who at that time, you know, were deeper with God, deeper with God than me. And, you know, I think if I'd listened to those people, I wouldn't be here doing what I'm doing. This Black Ballad wouldn't be existing. Black Ballad wouldn't employ six people, including me, at this point in time. Um, So you need to be bold with your vision. You need to have confidence in this, godly confidence in the vision that God has given you because even people with good intentions will throw seeds of doubt into your mind and you cannot afford to be swayed from the vision that God has given you. I love that. I love that so much. Um, And, you know, speaking about the vision of Black Ballad, it's been about six years now. How has that vision evolved since the day you got the idea to start something for the Black female community? How has it evolved over the past six to seven years? Yeah, I mean, when, when we started in 2014, it was kind of about representation and, you know, giving Black women something to read. Um, that was from their point of view and that was good quality um, and now it's kind of providing this whole lifestyle experience for black women in terms of okay you have great journalism but you should be having great physical and virtual events that you go to um, you, we, we partner with black owned companies to give you you know discounts so you have these kind of lifestyle so you have these lifestyle perks um, you know we look very closely at data to make sure it informs the type of content that our audience wants to see rather than just it was kind of like me thinking what people want to see. It's evolved into a fully-fledged media company and obviously it's a membership. You know, when I started Black Bad, I had no idea that I was going to make this a full-time job. I had no idea about business models and revenue streams. Um, so it has just evolved into a solid business it's evolved into, I think, the ultimate lifestyle experience for Black women in Britain, and we're going to, and we're working into Europe. And I think, you know, when I started this, I didn't think past, uh, I didn't really think past my immediate network. It was for Black women in my network, and now we have made concerted efforts to make sure we are always focusing on Black women in London and outside of London. We're thinking about Europe, so it's just expanded in terms of it being from a free access blog to having a really solid 
business, being a really solid business proposition to the audience it's for. And and enough, and most importantly, giving black women more than just something to read casually. It's a whole lifestyle experience and a whole community for black women. And I think those are, you know, the three main ways that it has evolved since 2014. Mm. And I can definitely testify and say that I'm just so amazed at the journey um, that you've been on yeah. and how it's grown so much. Um, it's a great, it's a great thing to actually look at, um, look at and say, actually, look at how it started, look at where it is, and look at all the potential that still lies ahead. I think it's just an amazing vision, and I'm so glad that despite some of the challenges or you know some of the resistance around it, you have kept going. What do you think has helped you to stay committed on that journey? Uh, faith, definitely. Um, my favourite scripture is uh, Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For only I know the thoughts have towards you, thoughts of good but evil, to give you a hope and a future. It is my all-time favourite scripture. I, I, There is so much failure that goes on in entrepreneurship. There is more failure than there are wins. But when you get that big win, it, 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 it overrides all the, the fails. But the resilience to keep going as an entrepreneur um, requires a lot of faith. So definitely faith has helped. Um, and I think, and been my strength. Um, I think there's been times when I've said to God, I don't know if I want to do this. Am I the best person to do this? Because also, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a, a female entrepreneur, as a black female entrepreneur, there are, there are some insecurities and doubts that, are, that come up, not because of, not because of your own making, but because of how other people see you. Um, so faith, that scripture, if I could read one scripture for the rest of my life, it would be that scripture. Because um, it reminds me that this is bigger than me. It reminds me that even when it feels like it's going wrong, God is is there in my corner. Um, so faith, and in particular, that scripture has kept me going for the last seven years. Mm, that's such a strong scripture as well. Um, and it's good to always have a scripture to hold on to because there will be seasons where either things are slow or, you know, self-doubt might creep in. So it's always good to have a scripture or scriptures that you can turn to to gain that sense of encouragement. And like, what have you got any challenges that you've had to overcome, like major challenges um, that could have actually led to you quitting or you stopping Black Ballad? Is there anything either from a financial perspective or a personal perspective that has challenged you on the journey? Oh, finances, definitely. Um, you know, I only went full-time with a proper salary of Black Ballad this year, January. Um, I went full-time in 2019 and I was on a very, very low salary and we went full-time, but I only I just, like, had a I've had a proper salary in 2021, January. Um, you know, I've I've been trying to raise investment for since before my daughter was conceived. So like 2019, so two-year journey. And it has been, I would say, the biggest challenge of um of the seven years. Um speaking to investors, both white, black, Asian who just didn't get the value of this audience and this product. And I took it very personally, especially when it was black investors telling me no. So I was kind of thinking, you're supposed to get it. Like, you should understand the value of this audience in my mind. And I had to really um, just 
tell myself that, you know, a, a person who has who looks at your business through a, a, a pitch deck doesn't define your business like the black woman who reads it every single week and day. And that was really hard. I think that if you know anything about investment, I know this audience is, you know, about, you know, this audience is entrepreneurial minded. So I will assume quite a few know what I'm talking about here. You know, I can't even remember the stats, but it is, it is horrendous. The lack of VC investment that black women, black women CEOs and founders get. And in our community, there is, I think, a certain validation that comes when a VC gives you money. And I think that's actually, looking back on it, I wanted that validation. And I shouldn't have wanted that validation because as an entrepreneur, the best validation is from your customers. It is not from a certain person in a suit who can sign a check. It is not. Um, And there's been times where it's felt so close to the wire in terms of, are we going to have enough money in this account? to pay people to do this, to do that. There has been tears. Um, I would say that, you know, my husband and I have put our life on hold at times to do Black Ballad. You know, I think in my husband's mind, you know, he would have probably got wanted to get married a little bit earlier, but we got married back at 28, which was, which was fine. Like it's absolutely fine. Um, but finances, raising investment, we're doing a crowdfund now we're doing a crowdfund now where you know black women have a chance to invest black women and allies have a chance to invest but i would definitely say the funding the fundraising journey over the last two years and, and i did and i did it while i was pregnant as well was extremely hard um it was extremely hard you know when i was pregnant and raising money i hid my pregnancy a lot um which you shouldn't have to do i didn't even get my money any money anyways but i was thinking who the hell is going to invest in a black woman doing a media company for the black community and happens to be pregnant. I thought I had no chance. I was like, I have no chance. Mm-hmm. So I hid my pregnancy. I, um, we got a few, we got a few checks over the line when I was pregnant. I got some checks over the line when I was on maternity leave and we just wrapped up, you know, some of the eight, we just wrapped up all the people who are angel investors before we go into the equity crowd fund. But I would definitely say that raising money for this business has been extremely difficult and extremely painful at times. And I also have to say, I think, I think the thing that people get wrong with VC investment is, especially because, you know, a lot of people say the answer is having more black people in the room. I don't think that's actually the right answer anymore. But I think that you have to think about the fact that a lot of black investors, they do come from the corporate world and they're taught that the business that you should invest in are the businesses that, are, you know, are going to scale. And that means having the biggest audience and, you know, and, and Black Ballad is not going to have the biggest audience because I'm not trying to get everybody. I'm focused on black women. So therefore, my products for black women, and it's not for every woman, it's not for every person, essentially. So it kind of means to, you know, to investors, they're like thinking, well, if I put, you know, for sim- you know, I want to put a million in and I want to get like a trillion out but that's not possible with this business because they're only focused on black women. So at best I'm going to get what, maybe like 60 million back. It's not an investment I want to do. And I think this is why I talk about all investors, regardless of their race, need to have a decolonized mindset. And I think we make it too, I think we've made it too simplistic in thinking the answer is 
let's have a woman in the room. Let's have a black person in the room. Because if you're in an environment where you're taught that the right entrepreneur is a white guy in his mid-20s with a white T-shirt and like doesn't comb his hair, that's all you're looking for. And I'm so far away from that that even you as a black person or a woman, you don't see me as the right entrepreneur. And I think that's what I learned. I learned my lesson. I think the people that said yes to us, and also, you know, a lot of people, you know, media is not a sexy thing to invest in. People want these like super, you know, we're a tech-enabled business. We're not a tech-first business. And I think, you know, when you're not on trend in that area as well, people are not, you know, you're not as, you're not, as I said, you're not as sexy as an investment. Um, So you're competing, I was competing against the fact that I'm not the entrepreneur that people are used to seeing. My audience is, is is smaller than what they want. And then I'm in an industry that people don't love. But the fact of my whole thing was, okay, there's all these things, but who else is there? Like you want to invest in the next Facebook, but Facebook exists. So you kind of want to have like a slice of the pie. Whereas I'm offering you something where you can have the majority of the pie because there's, there's actually not many competitors. Like, Mm. what else is a digital lifestyle brand for black women in Britain and Europe that's doing what we're doing there isn't really anybody and I think there needs to be a better conversation and I think you know that you know social media says representation is killing our people and I and I actually get what people mean by that now we think the answer is about if we have someone who looks like us then all our problems are solved I will tell you as someone that has gone to numerous funds for women numerous funds for black and unrepresented founders if people don't have a decolonized mindset if people don't see the value in this audience it does not work um and that's been oh, that's as i said as a woman as a black woman it felt very personal as well because you know also investors at the stage we're at you know you're not necessarily investing in the business you're investing in the person do you believe that that person can take this business to where they say they're going to go? And the fact that I think certain people don't believe that was felt very personal as well. So, yeah, there's a lot to talk about, I think, when it comes to black women and funding. And there's a lot to talk about in terms of what's the solution to, to uh, more black women, black people getting funding because it seems that people want a black Mark Zuckerberg and not everybody is going to be a black Mark Zuckerberg. I love that. And I just love how much you've helped us to explore it um, even beyond, you know, some of the the standard things that we hear about. And it is really about shifting that perspective and understanding more about the facts that are at play when it comes to the challenges that people are facing with raising those funds. Um, and the fact that you've kept going despite that, um, how would you say, because I know you have got a subscription model at the moment and you kind of done it ahead of the curve. Like I think over the last 12 months, nearly, well, the majority of businesses are introducing a subscription model um, or a, uh, yeah, a platform that enables them to generate income through through subscription services. How would you say that has helped you in terms of like black ballads? The subscription is the base of everything we do. The subscription is the reason we're able to pay black women. Without the subscription, we we wouldn't be able to pay. We wouldn't have been able to have paid. Um, started paying anyone. Um, I think at this point, Black Ballad has paid over £250,000 to um, black writers and creators. 
Um, and a lot of that has come from the subscription. Um, it allowed us to survive. When, when I did the subscription in 2016, we did a crowdfund. Um, so it was kind of make or break. If we didn't, if we didn't hit our target of £10,000, and luckily we raised £12,500, wouldn't be sitting here today. There'd be no Black Ballad. Uh, so the subscription has been the saving grace of, <laughs> of Black Ballad, in all honesty. And it's actually allowed us to build other revenue streams. Um, because the fact that we've been able to build a subscription, the fact that we've been able to show that, you know, it's a lot for people to hand over their money and say, like, I want to pay for this. It allows me to talk to advertisers. It allows me to tell advertisers, okay, we have an engaged audience and they're so engaged that they're willing to pay for it. Um, so it's, it's the base of what we do. And, and, you know, I am so proud of the subscription because, as I said, you know, the fact that we've paid over a quarter of a million pounds to black women and black creators at this point, um, it, you know, for an independent black-owned publication, black-owned business, uh, you know, that, that to me is something I will... I'll always be proud of and you know we've we've commissioned employed and you know paid over 400 black women and you know people at this point I'm incredibly proud of the subscription and what it's been able to do. Mm. I think that's brilliant that's so great and I know I've seen as well like when you do put up posts around you know your call out for new writers you always mention that you're going to pay your writers yeah Um, Yeah. and I think it's so key because um, creatives don't always get paid for their work um, and I know you, you freelance and you've, you've had experience in freelancing so you understand that pain and that challenge that can sometimes arise when you're not getting paid for your work and it's great to see how you've incorporated that as the CEO of this business um, what would you say are some of the key skills that you've had to develop as the CEO so making such decisions around finances and funding through to you know creating the membership platform and having the writers and the contributors in mind what are some of the skills that have enabled you to get to where you are right now um i'll always say i think leadership and hiring knowing that who's the right people for your your team is incredibly important um i don't know if you call it a skill but that gut instinct um i think that's pretty fast like i think if i'm convinced i'm convinced and like learning that skill has been learning to trust that has been important i've had to learn about pitching i've had to learn about making debts to investors mm-hmm. i've had to learn a whole new language when i started black Ballet, i've never i don't come from an entrepreneur background like when people were kind of talking about lifetime value ltv and kpis i had no idea what people were talking about so mm-hmm. it's, it's like a whole new language you have to learn when you're an entrepreneur and all these abbreviated terms and you know you know it's 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 crazy you know people say oh what's CAC and you're like oh my god what is CAC and you'll kind of find out later what it is so learning the whole language of entrepreneurship (laughs) has been a skill um hiring leadership um has been another skill um I think you know also just I I don't I don't love looking, you know, I don't love the finances. I think it's the most, I think it's a a boring part, but definitely keep an eye on the books. Like my husband deals with the, like 
more of the money side, but I definitely have become so much more comfortable in having the final server yes and a no. So like we have a management meeting and I'll be looking at like numbers and I'll literally just be like, this does not make sense. Like I can't, we can't afford this. I am, I'm, my team might say, Mm. I I could be quite, not tight, but I definitely, I definitely live by the rule that cash is king. Like money should always be in the bank. I, I, budgeting everything, you know, when we get a commercial deal, looking at the budgets, I'm, I actually deal with like more of the commercial side on the day to day now um, and sales. So talking to advertisers again is another new language that I've had to learn. And, you know, the bulk of our you know revenue now comes from these, like these um, advertising deals I'm going to get. And like just learning all of the ins and outs of that has been a whole new school that I've had to pick up because at the moment, that's where the bulk of our money is coming from now. Um, you, as an entrepreneur, you learn anything and everything. And I think you're, I think a good, sorry, CEO, I think you learn to be a generalist. And I think sometimes we don't appreciate the generalists in life. Um, but you you pick up so many skills that you kind of become a generalist. You know, when I started at Ballad, I was a journalist. Yeah, that those skills, those they're, they're, they're so dusty now when it comes to editing and writing because I had to leave that at the, I had to leave that at the door and then so many other things in order to make this work. Mm, I love that and I love I love what you just mentioned about being a generalist. I think sometimes we do underestimate that that in itself is a skill like being able to wear multiple hats and adapt quite quickly to new areas. Um, it's, it's just a skill in itself, like just being able to, yeah, adapt to new things, the changes that are going on in the economy, in your industry, and being able to learn on the job. Literally, that's what a lot of entrepreneurs are having to do. So, yeah, those are such strong skills. I think leadership as well is a great one. Um, and I know you touched on like building a team. One thing I know you do quite a lot is you shout out your team. Like you, you always shout out your team. What do you think has helped you to build quite a committed um, team that just get the vision of Black Ballad? getting it wrong <laughs> simple as got it wrong once and I said I'll never make that mistake again I got it right um it really sometimes things are actually that simple um I got it wrong once um I think I I think I was more honest in terms of when I hired for our three latest hires, Nicole, Mia and Aisha, um, I was very honest the fact that we are a startup. We are six people, but that is not enough people to do what we do. Like everybody wears multiple hats. Like if you ask anyone their job, they will say what their, what their job is and then ask what they really do. Mm. There's loads of other stuff. Um, and I think when I, I made a previous hire, I didn't take into consideration that we was a startup. I didn't take into consideration that this is not a nine to five. I didn't take into consideration that I needed some, I needed people on the team who understood that sometimes you're going to have to work weekends, that sometimes you're working late, um, that sometimes you have to wear multiple, multiple hats. And I'm not saying that that person was a bad employee. I just don't think they were the right fit for this team. And I got it wrong. And I said I wouldn't get it wrong again. And I didn't. That is the truth. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer of not making the same mistake twice if we can. 
So in these interviews, I was a lot stricter. I was looking for more than the person that could do the job. Um, and I think that's it now with hiring. I think it's not about the person who can do the job because you can train someone to do the job, actually. Can they do the job and can they understand the commitment? Can they understand the commitment that is needed to being a startup like Black Ballad? Can they understand the commitment of serving this audience? This company is special because the way I think about it is like we're serving Black women. Um, and I constantly have that in the back of my mind. Every decision is like, how does this serve Black women? And I always use that word serve because I think Black women haven't had this sort of product before. Um, and I want to always make sure that it's a product, it's a business that puts them first. Um, so, yeah, I thought about all of those. I thought about all of those things a lot better in the last three hires. That's great. Um, and I think just going in with that mindset of, okay, this is what we're doing, we're serving this community and being able to, you know, articulate the vision as well to the team is mm -hmm. so crucial. Um, and it's just amazing that, you know, you've now got, um, you've got the team um, that you you are so proud of. I know you speak about it a lot, that you're proud of um, and you're growing together as a team as you grow the vision. I think it's brilliant. Um and I think like oftentimes entrepreneurs focus on the business, they focus on serving the community, building the team. I'd like to spend a bit more time just speaking about you as an individual. So what do you do to unwind? Like what do you do when you're not working? Change nappies because I've got a one-year-old. <laughs> um, I do that. But um, what do I do to unwind? I am... It sounds so simple. There's nothing more I love than literally just sitting on the sofa with my husband watching Modern Family. I just love Modern Family. Um, so I love like just watching, I love watching good escapism TV, um, especially now I'm a mum. Like I just, I just need things that don't make me think too much. Um, and also I really love to cook. I love cooking because I feel like cooking's a little bit of a challenge where I'm completely all in and I'm not, and I can't focus on anything else when I'm cooking. Like I, I, um, I'm watching what I'm doing and it just, I just love, I just love cooking. I love the result of seeing something I've made and I, it makes me feel really good. And then I think the other thing is I run. So I, I, I like to run. Um, cause I think it's really important to do something by myself for myself. Mm. And when I started running, I'll be honest, it was to kind of lose my baby weight, but it's become a more mental thing. Like I literally, I run in the morning because it just genuinely just makes me feel good. Like it clears my mind. I actually, I often run to gospel music, actually. Um, I did it this morning, I'll be honest, but I do run to gospel music. I say about 60, 70% of the time. Mm -hmm. And because sometimes when you, because having a baby has really changed my capacity to open up my Bible every morning, being really honest. And I'm still trying to establish a new uh, rhythm with that. So when I couldn't, you know, open up my Bible every morning because I was super tired from like the night shift or, you know, the recovery of, 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 my, of having a baby, even six months on, those gentle jogs, those, those, those 5K runs that they turned into, I listened to gospel music and I, I loved just being fed that. That was great for me. Mm -hmm. 
That's great. Um, I think doing stuff for yourself is so key. Um, and yeah, being around friends and family as well. And I know you have a weekly founders letter, which goes out to your mailing list. Yeah. Um, I read one of them recently, actually, and you spoke about keeping your personal life off social media. Yeah. What led you towards that choice? Um, I am, my, my husband and my daughter are my everything. I, I'm, they're the, they're the gifts that God has given me that I'm most grateful for. And my husband is very outgoing in real life. And he really just uses social media just to kind of talk about sport and business. He's not really a massive, he'll post like landmark moments. Like he posted our wedding, he posted like my, our baby's, uh, hand when she was born and but he's not he doesn't really use social media personally um and just as getting older I just became more protective of the relationship because I don't take it for granted I'm in a very healthy marriage a very healthy marriage it's not a perfect marriage no 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 no. but it's very healthy um and I just wanted to protect that and I and I think I really enjoy my marriage I enjoy the laughs I enjoy the things we do together. And I just thought like, I don't know why I just bring out a camera all the time and show everyone else. Like it's no one else's business. I don't, I don't think, I don't think anyone really cares. And, you know, when you've been together for 10 years, you just figure out what works for you. And we've just, or just a couple that I think, yeah, we'll make, you know, we'll make appearances on each other's Instagrams and stories here and there, but we're just not a couple that really shows our relationship. Like, don't get me wrong, there's, there's, there's moments when things have happened and, like, he's given me a massive shout. I'm like, oh, God, that's really nice. That's really, that's really nice. That's unusual. Oh, that's nice. But we just say it to each other. And I just felt that that, that was the best thing for our marriage. Um, and, yeah, and our 10-year relationship, really. And I think, you know, being 31 and being in a 10-year relationship that is healthy is, is, is a... I don't... I don't... I'm not someone that likes women to be defined by their partners but I am incredibly proud of having a healthy 10-year relationship at 31 I will say that Mm. um and as for my daughter my husband and I really sat down and thought about the type of parents we wanted to be and I think the first and defining thing about having a child is that you have to remember you're a custodian of God's child. God has chosen that child for you and you're, you're a custodian. You need to understand that. And I thought, what was the best way for me to look after this child? And my husband is actually a techie and he was researching online kind of the dangers of putting your kid out there. Like, I think kids that have their face and date of birth and name on the internet, I think something like four or five times more likely to be victims of identity theft by the time they're like in their teens. So my husband was like, I don't like that. And I was like, I don't like it either. You have no idea who's watching your social media accounts. Um, the work that I do, you know, many black women find it great. There are a lot of people in this world who don't. And I just personally thought that I didn't, you know, my, I still use my maiden name professionally because I, I like to have that barrier um, of work and home and what is real and what is not. Um, and then I'll be honest, um, I do follow mommy bloggers and I think some, I think most of them are wonderful. And there was a defining moment for me. I watched a mommy blogger and her child was crying 
and she was kind of videoing him and being like, you know, she's had a long day and like, this is real, like her life's not perfect. And I kind of didn't get why she was filming her child crying in the, in the hope of relatability to anyone else. And I've thought if, if she held that camera up to her sister, her mum, her husband, we would all question that. Like there's boundaries, right? You just give people boundaries and respect. So why do we not question parents that film their kids crying? Like we need to give our children boundaries and respect. And we talk so much about giving black girls in particular boundaries, but if parents that give children boundaries, how will they ever know what boundaries are? And I wanted to be a very intentional parent and we want to be intentional parents of giving our child boundaries. Why we don't say her name online. You don't see her face. You see the lot of the back of her head because she's in my life. So, you know, this morning I was trying to take a picture in the mirror and she literally came and you see the back of her because that's real life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was about protecting this child and having boundaries. I didn't want my child to be 15 years on, 20 years on saying like, why is why, why are my baby pictures on the internet? Like, why? Mm-hmm. And I think a child has a right to ask that pa- a parent that question. And my life is not, an ent- is not entertainment. I'm not an influencer. I, I don't make my money, you know, by sharing my family. My husband has a, had a lie when I was pregnant. My, our family is not a business. Our family is our business. And I think it's the best line. I'm not an influencer. My family is not for anyone's entertainment. And I, I love my husband and my, my daughter so dearly. I'm, I'm the protective one in our family. So to me, I just felt that there is no reason that 12,000 people that follow me on Twitter and you know, 25,000 people that are on Black Ballad's Instagram and the thousands, the few thousand I have on, on Instagram to see my child's life. It's, it's not anyone's business but our own. And I, I felt, I prayed about it and I felt very strongly that my personal life is not anybody's entertainment and it's not for anyone else's consumption. And likes on my child's baby pictures don't mean anything to me. My child's happiness and mental health um, and and well-being is the most important thing. And I don't think social media would be additive to any of those things for her. Absolutely love that. Um, and I feel like there is so much pressure that people do face and they feel like they've got to post more about their lifestyle to prove stuff or, you know, to feel like they fit in, whether that's their personal life, their relationship, their children, their careers. And I think it's just beautiful to hear that from you. And it just it's great to hear how you've aligned your values with, you know, how you represent yourself out in the public eye. Um, and it's encouraging for anyone who ever does feel that pressure um, to do things just to fit society's norms when it doesn't really align with your values. So, yeah, that's great. That's amazing. Um, and thank you for sharing that as well. Um, I know you've been in the media for well over a decade now. <laughs> just, to, just to wrap up, <laughs> what are your views on the way modern media is unfolding before our very eyes? <laughs> what do you what do you um, what do you feel about the way media um, media represents and how it's changed over the past ten years? I think social media has really sprung sprung out, but just beyond even social media, digital media. Um, everything like it's just it's really evolving um although we're seeing a shift away from like print and all of that stuff but broadcast media is very important and like yeah just tell us what are your views about the way media is yeah how it's how it's unfolding I think media is becoming more identity driven I think it's about finding your your tribe I guess people would say your community I think that 
I think that general publications, unless they're really legacy, like Yagesha Guardians and your Vogue's or whatever, I think that digital media, good digital media that's going to last, is going to be very specific to certain identities. I don't think media publications now are going to be for everyone. So I think it's this 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 drives to identity. I think I think there's a I think there's an awakening. I think there's going to be an awakening that happens that people are going to realise you cannot be all things to everyone with your media product. I think you're going to have to be very specific because I think social media has, a, I think with the rise of things like you have like black Twitter and, you know, some people know what I mean. What Fiat 500 Twitter is or whatever they call it, you know, like you have your groups online now. Issues are becoming very driven by gender, sexuality, race, class, region. Um, I think modern media is gonna is becoming more identity driven and that's what what people I think people are gonna have to start realizing. I think there's a reason why many mainstream publications are now starting to do, oh, we have, you know, this sub-brand that's for black women, or we have this sub, you know, for a month we're focusing on the LGBTQ community. Oh, you know, this month we're focusing on ex-women who do this. I think big brands are realising that they also need to become very specific with identity-driven content, but how do they remain, how do they remain to their values where they've been so general over like decades and some cases centuries? So that's where I think modern media is going. And I know you mentioned that, you know, you, you see that there's a lot more change to happen. What, what are your, what, how are you setting your sights for the future of Black Ballad and what more changes can you see Black Ballad creating in the space that you're in at the moment? I think Black Ballad will continue to force hands of Black people creating content for Black women. Um, I'm not the first. I mean, many other people have created um, publications for Black women. And, you know, I stand on the shoulders of publications like Pride and Black Hair and Media Diversified. But I think you do need to be bold when you know you've been pioneering. I don't think I don't think any publications had the impact that Black Ballad has in really creating content for Black women that is so specific. Um, I, I, you know, the great thing about having a membership is even if you're not a member, I see who logs in as subscribers. I see X. I see you know X XB dot YZ at the Guardian uk logging to Black Ballad, and then I see that same person has written something about Black women 24 hours later, 48 hours later, a week later. Um, Black Ballad will continue to force the hands of major ma- of mainstream publications to serve this audience, and that is a good thing. Um, you know, sometimes you do worry about competitors, but Black women should have choice. Black Ballad should not be the only choice for Black women, and competition can be good. It, it forces you to be better. Um, so Black Ballad will continue to force mainstream publications to do better by Black women. But I think Black Ballad will always stay ahead because we're because that's all we focus on. That's all we think about when Black women are our afterthought to, to these other publications. Um, so we'll continue to remain ahead of the curve in that way. Um, we've been doing like um, pairing up Black female writers with men, with mentors in the industry across races and sexes. So I'm hoping that that will help more black writers crack into the industry beyond black ballads. 
Um, so I'm hoping, I know we're a force for change. I know, I know that we've changed the, the, the media industry. And, you know, one thing that people often won't say or forget because, you know, we are an independent publication, who in Britain was a consumer lifestyle platform for women that was asking people to pay for memberships. We have contributed to making sure that journalists can get paid. Um, Because as you said, in 2016, no one was doing memberships for this type of content. No one. And that was why it was so hard to raise money. Um, But now it seems to be a normal part of the media experience, um, asking people to pay for a membership now. But in 2014, uh, 2016, there was this tiny publication that was kind of in the corner of the media landscape saying that, you know, we should be paying for this content because we should be wanting people to be paid for their, for their, for their craft and their time and their talents. And I think that's a great thing. And I think that's a thing that no one can take away from us, whether they want to acknowledge it or not. We were the first, if, if we were the first publication of this type. And I think many people have been able to build off of us um, in asking women in particular to pay for memberships when it comes to media consumption. That's great. And, you know, everything you're doing, everything you've achieved is just amazing. It's inspiring and it's so encouraging. Um, And yeah, I definitely feel like there is a lot more um, ahead for Black Ballad. I'm excited for your future. I'm excited to see how the vision continues to unfold. So let us know how we can stay connected with you. Where can we find Black Ballad? Um, Yeah. How can we stay connected with what you're doing? Okay, we stay connected by following us on all social platforms, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Black Ballad UK. And then it is www.blackballad.co.uk is our website. And if you want 40% off any membership of your choice for 12 months, um, go to blackballad.co.uk, register and just put in the code TOBI, T-O-B-I. Excellent. Thank you so much, Toby, for your time today. It's been amazing hearing your journey, hearing more about Black Ballad and all the things ahead. Thank you once again. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Ascribe podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe as it allows other entrepreneurial women like yourself to find the show. If you would like to find out more about Ascribe, visit us at ascribeculture.com. Enjoy the rest of your day and take care.